We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend you when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's the morning after the night before and there are recriminations aplenty in the wake of the big BBC debate last night between the final five contestants for the highest office in the land. That's right, things have got so bad in the world of British politics that it's almost as though we aren't actually watching a competition to install the next Prime Minister who will lead us out of the European Union. The debate was a disaster. It wasn't just that the set was wrong or that Emily Maitlis was uncharacteristically off her game or that Rory Stewart was hamming it up like some kind of Cambridge Footlights production actor in Hamlet, or that it all sounded like an argument in a pub. It now turns out that one of the guests selected to ask a question has written some very questionable anti-Semitic tweets described as extremely disturbing by one of the BBC's own most senior broadcasters. That's right, clearly no one bothered to check Imam Abdullah Patel out in their haste to try and paint Boris Johnson as Islamophobic. It turns out he's also written all manner uh, of different pieces talking about why girls should not ever be alone with a man and all the rest of it. Oh, absolutely and utterly findable, checkable and easily detectable on the internet. The entire fiasco should be consigned to one of those famous bins that Rory Stewart bangs on about. Yesterday, Tobias Elwood said he was electrifying the campaign. Well, he looked like the fuse had gone last night, I have to say. We learned nothing about anyone. We heard no policy worth noting and no one emerged with any particular new oomph. So let me congratulate all you licence payers for paying for such an absolutely ridiculously over-the-top, useless fiasco. Tragically, there is yet another ballot today to remove one more candidate and we will soon be down to the final four. Can someone please give me some reason to care? 0344 499 Coming up later, we'll find out why it's going to take 30 years to build another runway at Heathrow and whether music venues are safe enough for another summer of entertainment. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, I'd have to say that was one of the most unscintillating hours of television I think I've ever watched. Of course I had to watch it because it's part of my job to watch it. But if it wasn't part of my job to watch it, I think I would have switched it off apart from the curiosity value of Rory Stewart and whether he was actually going to do a full strip after he removed his tie for some reason to try and make himself look cool, to try and make himself look more engaged, to try and make himself look less like the other four who were sitting on bar stools that looked very, very uncomfortable. Let's talk to John Rental, our guru in these matters, to find out if he agreed with me that it was the biggest waste of time since the last big waste of time they did on the BBC. John, a very good morning to you. <laughs> good, good morning, Mike. So uh, you didn't like it, then? Not really, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm desperately trying to think of <laughs> one good thing. I wish thing. you'd say what you. I wish you'd say what you. <laughs> I mean, I'm desperately I mean, trying to. I'm trying to think me. of Hold something. I'm trying to think of something positive, but I can't. Maybe you can give me something positive from it. Well, I tell you what. I mean, I thought it was an absolute shambles. You're absolutely right. It was uh, it, the format was ghastly, and none of them distinguished themselves well. But, I mean, uh, looking, thinking about it, I, th- I thought we did learn something from it, which actually was uh, uh, Jeremy Hunt was a surprisingly strong performer. Uh, he actually landed uh, landed some blows on uh, on Boris Johnson, and he actually took uh, Rory Stewart down a peg or two. He because, did. I mean, Rory Stewart was having a go at them all for, for promising the impossible, um, saying, you know, you can't guarantee that we'll, we'll get out in October. 
Uh, and, and Jeremy Hunt just sort of gently pointed out that Rory Stewart's uh, plan for Brexit is to get Theresa May's deal through the House of, House of Commons. Yes. Which is just as, just as much a, a fantasy promise. So, yeah, I thought, I thought Jeremy Hunt did his cause uh, some, some good. But, I mean, generally, you're absolutely right. It was uh, it was not a success. And I mean, on the sort of um, what you would call, I suppose, the purely shallow um, look, you know, view of the whole thing. I mean, Boris Johnson was the only one for me who looked, if you like, prime ministerial, partly because, of course, he's kind of t- calmed himself down a bit. I mean, Matthew Paris this morning describes him as the boring Boris. You know, we know the bad yeah. Boris, the good Boris. Last night we got the boring Boris. <laughs> Well, we also got the flip-flop, Boris. Because, right? yeah. I mean, he, 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 he flip-flopped on, on Heathrow. He looked very uncomfortable on uh, Nazanin Zahari Ratcliffe. Um, and he, he, he started off by guaranteeing that we we're going to leave in October. And then, and, and then when he was pressed by Emily Maitlis, he sort of, uh, he sort of went all sort of squishy on it. So <laughs> yeah, I thought he didn't, uh, he, he didn't come across. Well, it's another I don't case. know that he was prime ministerial. I thought I thought Jeremy Hunt actually mm. came across as as, as the most sort of uh, the most sort of reasoned of them all. I mean, you know, and Michael Gove and, and Sajid Javid had their moments, but I mean, Michael Gove doesn't look sincere when uh, when, when he's dealing with members of the public, and Sajid Javid was just trying to uh, trying to stand a bit strident. I right. Think. I think. I mean, if you were to analyse it and and be, I suppose, forensic about it, Gove looks like a guy who's been given a bunch of lines and he keeps repeating them uh, ad nauseam, but always at the wrong time. So he has no kind of nuance about it. He just kind of comes out with something about Jeremy Corbyn, or like yeah. he did the other night on the Channel 4 debate, where he suddenly declared that Sajid Javid was a hero. And everyone looked at him like, sorry, you know, as he rescued some children from a burning building recently or something. You know, it turned out he'd actually just managed to become quite a successful businessman. You know, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's all over the place. Johnson looks like a guy who's being told not to say things, and so he doesn't yeah. want to say anything at all. Um, and just ignored a lot of questions yeah. that, he didn't, that he didn't want to answer. Right. Um, and, and then, of course, the final ignominy, because as if the panel weren't particularly good, it then turns out that whoever vetted the people asking the questions didn't <laughs> even bother to go through the social media account uh, of this guy, uh, Abdullah Patel from Bristol. Well, yes. I mean, I'm not sure how much that that matters. That's a bit of uh, bit of gotcha journalism after after the event. I mean, his, I mean, the point is that that the, the, uh, Abdullah's question was a perfectly reasonable question, which is, you know, uh, which the the, the the candidates had to answer on its own merit. No, I, I accept you know, that, that. But they could have got any number of but they could have got any number of people to ask the question rather than somebody yeah. for whom uh, his own particular words are even more horrible than anything <laughs> Boris Johnson's ever said. True. I mean, it is embarrassing for the BBC, no doubt. But I don't think, I mean, John, uh, Boris Johnson didn't actually answer the question very well. And it gave Sajid Javid the, the, the chance for the one sort of spontaneous moment in the whole thing, really, which was when he, he got all the other candidates to agree to an independent investigation of Tory Islamophobia. Yes, uh, which, as Peter Oborn pointed out on Twitter some moments after that, that he'd asked them all whether they would do that, uh, and, and, yeah. and they never and they said they wouldn't, or they didn't answer, or, you know, they only got well, one, one yes well, from any member of the well, cabinet. I, one of them said yes, and I can't, I, I couldn't tell which one it was. But, yeah. I mean, they all sort of nodded or grunted or said, right. you know. I mean, it looked as if he got them to agree anyway. It'd be embarrassing for them all to go back on that now, I think. Oh, yeah, because we know that they don't like going back on things, do they? I mean, you know, <laughs> they just have to add it to the long list of things they've gone back on. So, <laughs> well, so I mean, today we have yet another contest. Um, I, think I think they're now at the point of boring us to death. I mean, I think they really need to speed it up a bit, don't you? I mean, yeah. could they not, well, could well, they not right. get rid of three today instead of one? Well, exactly. I mean, I do think this grinding it out is, is going to be 
is, is going to get a little bit repetitive. Uh, but, I mean, it does have to be brought to an end tomorrow because they've got two, two ballots tomorrow, one in, the, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Um, so that should sort it all out. But, I mean, I would have... I, I expected... Last night, I expected Sajid Javid to pull out this morning because, I mean, he only just got the 33 needed to stay in. And I would have thought he could say... He, he could just quit while he's ahead because he could say, well, you know, I had the... I had the opportunity to stay in the contest, but I don't think I'm going to win it in the end, so therefore I'm pulling out. Um, but no, he's going to stay in, um, and he'll probably come bottom and be eliminated, and then they'll have to sort it out tomorrow. Yes, exactly right. And I mean, as far as this whole kind of, you know, big wave of enthusiasm for Rory Stewart, I mean, he probably, out of all of them, suffered the most last night, I would think, in the sense that he didn't come across as a new candidate. As you said, Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy Hunt kind of poked his... Uh, uh, his pomposity with it, with a, with his finger, and just said, "Well, sorry, your your deal is no, there's nothing new. You're, you're not yeah. new in politics. You've been hanging around for a long time." And he, and again, Rory Stewart has all these kind of touch points that he seems to want to make a point of, and and but none of it really matters anymore. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I think the Rory Stewart bandwagon is is, is slowing down. Certainly, um, I mean, he did very well up to this point, but there was always going to be a limit, I think, to his uh, to his appeal because. Um, you know, he's a very sort of liberal left-wing uh, Tory. And as we saw in those sort of polls of Tory members uh, yesterday, you know, I mean, 46% of Tory members want to, would be happy to have Nigel Farage as their leader. They're, yeah. not, they're not natural Rory Stewart supporters, these people. They're really so not. I think... But therein lies the problem, I suppose, for the Tory party, because we've seen Chucky Ramuna going backwards and forwards and joining parties, starting parties, leaving parties. You never know what he's going to do next. But you've got somebody like Dominic Grieve, uh, who may end up with the Lib Dems, which is probably where he should go. Probably Rory Stewart should do the same. I mean, why, why don't they just get on with it and move to the part of the House where people agree with them? Well, no, I mean, if, if it's true that Theresa May voted for Rory Stewart, then... You know, he does actually represent. I mean, it's a minority strand in the in the Tory Party, but it is an important one. And you know, well, I think that was fact, that was the. Nation, I think I think that was actually the kiss of death as soon as everybody found out that she was backing him. <laughs> you know, everybody <laughs> ran away from hundred miles now. But that that won't come as a surprise to you, John, though, because Theresa May, it now would seem was doing all she could to kind of, you know, drag this out. I don't think it went the right way and didn't go the way she wanted it to go, but she wanted to try and keep a very, very kind of customs union-y style Brexit on the cards so that nothing much would change. Well, no, I don't think that's fair. I mean, she was desperately trying to find some kind of deal that would uh, that would be poss would, would be able to get through the House of Commons, and obviously that has to, has to be a fairly soft Brexit. It has to, be, has to accommodate this the 48 percent who voted to remain and uh, it has to try and get the labor party on board i mean in fact her problem was she didn't really try hard enough and early enough to get the labor labor votes that she needed to get mm. it through the house of commons yeah i mean we're going to talk about labor later on in this hour because of course it now would appear that at some point today there's a shadow cabinet meeting in which jeremy corbyn's going to be urged to adopt um a plan for a second referendum is that actually yeah, going to happen or is that is that kind of pie the sky <laughs> well i think it's it's another of these sort of micro steps in that direction yeah. that the Labour Party is, is is constantly inching towards. But it, every time it inches towards it, you know, then Jeremy Corbyn pops up on, on television and, you know, unscripted says something, you know, completely sort of leverish. Um, so I don't, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But I mean, the, the problem the Labour Party has is, yes, of course, all its supporters and members want to, want to stay in the EU. But uh, it promised to respect the result of the referendum. And, you know, how you go from 
um, yes, we'll respect the result of the referendum to no, we won't, is uh, is a huge political problem for Jeremy Corbyn. It's all very well people saying, oh, well, you know, just come out for a referendum. You have to say well, what your position would be in that referendum. Yeah, and also all these people who are asking for a second referendum are those who believe that that uh, that Remain would win. In fact, it's probably less likely that Remain would now win. Well, so, so... it depends on what the question is, Mike. I well, mean, that's that true the, too. That's the other problem. Well, I mean, that's it's true not too. As if we've got Leave and Remain anymore. I mean, the, re the reason we haven't left is that, I mean, one of the big reasons we haven't left is that the Leavers decided they didn't want to leave on the terms that were offered. So, well, some of them didn't. Well, I mean, this is the trouble, isn't it? Because, I mean, I imagine the Remain side would rather have two questions on the ballot. One would be, uh, would you prefer to remain in the European Union as it is now? Uh, or yeah. uh, would you like to stay in the European Union? Those would be their two questions. They don't want one that says, <laughs> do you want to leave, do they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, two no, different was... words for remain. And the, and the leavers would say, you know, do you want to leave with a deal or without a deal? Yeah. Like, oh, that's the question they want. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that, and that's the question. The, the problem is, what's the question in the referendum? And uh, it, and what would what would Labour's position be? I mean, presumably it would be to uh, to remain again, and that's uh, that's that's a bit difficult to square with their promise to abide by the results of the last. Yeah, quite. And is there any possibility, do you think, that Boris Johnson could circumvent Parliament? I know Rory Stewart's vowed to kind of take him on and take him down <laughs> if he tries anything that like locking people out. But I mean, yeah. uh, could I mean I know that technically at the moment anyway and legally we could leave without a deal, and Parliament wouldn't have to rubber stamp it. Yeah, no, but I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that's possible at all because I think Parliament will uh, will assert itself, and uh, you know the, the speaker's made it absolutely clear that uh, he will he will do what he can to allow Parliament to assert itself. I mean, I, and I don't think that's you know that's not that's not John Burko sort of taking a political position. I mean, his job is to uh, is to allow. Uh, the House of Commons to um, to express itself. So that's it's, true, but he is stretching that particular sort of job to to uh, what, what might be no, called breaking I mean, point. But, yeah, except but, I mean, who is who's who's suggesting that you know a, a prime minister should be allowed to ignore the House of Commons? I mean, this is a ridiculous. A ridiculous idea. Well, I mean, I um, suppose if he had a bigger majority, then yes, that could be done. But the problem is, is the Tories don't have a big majority. In fact, they've they've got an even smaller majority now than they had after the 2017 election. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> they got a majority of five. Yeah. And, and, the pro and the point is that you know Boris Johnson. I mean, you know Theresa May. You know, was in was in deep enough trouble. But I mean, Boris Johnson's got even less chance of persuading yeah. uh, Labour M Labour MPs to vote for for, for what he wants. So mm. he's got an even more difficult. Uh, he's got a more difficult proposition to sell than uh, than she had, and that's why I think yeah. he's going to end up coming a cropper. You know when things have turned rotten, right? When you're watching these guys last night, five the famous five or whatever, five go mad in the BBC studio, um, and <laughs> and you start sort of wistfully wondering whether it might have not been such a bad idea to keep Theresa May on. <laughs> well, I did wonder if she was going to turn up at Prime Minister's questions today and say, uh, say, you know, you know, Angela Merkel decided to withdraw yeah. her resignation. Well, right. I'm, I'm I'm doing the same. <laughs> well, I mean. You, Stranger things have happened. You have to try and drag her out of Downing Street. You never know. John, listen, as ever, thank you very much indeed. John Rensel, uh, commentator from The Independent, uh, chief political commentator, I should say, from The Independent, uh, with a similarly, uh, shall we say, sanguine view of what a complete and utter waste of time. Shambolic doesn't even begin to describe how bad the debate was. Sitting on stools like some uh, ageing boy band, as many of you are pointing out on Twitter, you know, you just expected something to happen and it never did. Most of the time they were talking over each other. Most of the time Emily Maitlis was trying to throw in a few more barbed questions uh, added on to the ones that were coming from the people on TV screens. There was no audience. I mean, how do you have a debate with no audience? How do you know how it's being received?
For heaven's sake, BBC guys, get a grip, will you? And do check on the people that you get to ask the questions next time because you're being made to look very amateurish and very stupid. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, whenever I want to talk about the world of travel and the world of the travel business, there's only one man uh, who I should talk to, and that man, of course, is Simon Calder from The Independent, who joins me now uh, to explain to me why it takes 30 years to build a runway. Hello, Simon. Oh, look, I've just been enjoying the, um, <laughs> the build-up um, so far, and um, it, it would actually probably be a lot easier if you became Prime Minister. Yes. Um, and then uh, then at least we'd know where we are. Yes, and well, exactly. actually, the, the uh, Prime Ministerial competition among the uh, uh, various Tory contenders uh, is also very, very lively in terms of the heat Heathrow thing. Let me tell you exactly what we learned yesterday about Heathrow Airport. Yes. As you know, for the last four decades, we've been talking about expanding um, airspace in or the number of runways in London and South East England. Yes. London is by a mile the capital of aviation worldwide. 175 million people will fly in and out of the city this year. Um, that's far more than New York, Beijing, Dubai, Paris. Tokyo and anywhere else and we're doing that even though we've got the busiest single runway airport in the world Gatwick mm. and the busiest two runway airport in the world Heathrow and so after years and years of prevarication finally the government said alright build another runway at Heathrow and yesterday the airport revealed its master plan and the runway will actually be ready in 2026 ah. But they're going to start increasing the number of flights from 2022. So that's three years from now. They're going to suddenly find space for another 25,000 flights a year. Um, then when the runway opens, they'll gradually build all the other bits like terminals and car parks and uh, rail connections and so on. And then finally, 2050, when um, I've actually got it in my diary to that we'll talk again <laughs> at uh, noon on Sadly, Wednesday. I think it may be a bit of a one-sided conversation. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be around in 2050. Uh, anyway, I, I, I've got it now. 31 years from now, we'll be having a conversation <laughs> to see how it looks. Um, but but it's 2050 is when they're finally going to say, right, we've done everything. We've spent £14 billion pounds and it's now able to handle 77% more passengers taking the number up to a hundred oh I can't remember 142 million I'm looking yeah. at here but surely they're doing this the wrong way around aren't they Simon shouldn't you be providing the kind of superstructure and infrastructure around the runway uh, in terms of par uh, parking in terms of terminals oh. in terms of baggage handling before you actually get the planes coming in and out Mike if you were Prime Minister that's it. I'm sure that's exactly what would be happening but it doesn't work like that with uh, planning permission and so on and actually um this is this uh, lots to do lots of this is to do with being nice to um uh, british airways who are the main kind mm. of tenants at heathrow they are not suddenly in 2026 when the new runway opens suddenly going to say oh look we've suddenly put on an extra uh, 40 yeah. percent flight i'm not a um, big fan of british airways at the moment i'll tell you for why oh, okay. uh, i bought myself a very nice cheapo ticket over to go and visit my mother in america How and uh, yeah. without realizing it um or perhaps with realizing it at the oh, time you didn't book any luggage i didn't book any luggage uh, but then uh, yeah. i also wasn't wide awake enough at the morning when they opened check-in so i had to pay not only 40 quid to check <laughs> no, my bag i paid another 37 quid to sit there. No. So no, 77 no, no. extra pounds on top of what I'd already well, paid. Well, look, um, uh, British Airways has a stupendously generous baggage policy, 46 kilograms in cabin baggage. So yeah, I but I'm not carrying a small gorilla with me wherever I go anywhere. Quite no. often I want to get on and off and I don't want to check a bag. 
but, but that's what I mean. You, you, so, so, so you you don't check a bag, um, and they they have such a, a generous cabin baggage allowance that you shouldn't need to. Forty six kilograms. Um, I I can get by with that. And um, no, but it's what's in it that you can't you can't put on the plane, can you? You can't put anything on the plane which is a liquid which is no. bigger than fifty millimeter, you yeah, know, milliliters or whatever. Hundred milliliters. Okay. All yeah. right. Anyway, well, anyway, look, never but, mind. But, but um, I I I I'm enough about know, me. <laughs> no, no, no. There's never never <laughs> enough about you. Um, but look, BA doesn't want suddenly to have to switch on an extra 50% of capacity so therefore they're going to gradually build up the number of flights and actually Heathrow you can get away with um, adding extra flights uh, without building new terminals just about there's a little bit of capacity there and then you gradually start building the, the, the extra terminals extra car parking and then finally you get to 2050 exhausted and you've got all the bits in place so so it kind of works except that um, and I've been working on this all morning, so you don't have to. Um, of course, uh, Boris Johnson, front runner to be our next prime minister, um, he says a third runway will fail both London and the UK on every level. And um, is he, he still saying that though? Well, that's what I've been trying to find out, Mike. Because <laughs> um, he was a bit, he was a bit woolly on that in the debate last night. But... Uh, he, he certainly was. I mean, he said, "I will lie down with you in front of those bulldozers and stop the building, stop the construction of that third runway." Um, but last night, that that was um, three years ago. Now he says, I continue to have grave reservations about Heathrow Runway 3. Um, he also talked about um, court cases which, which, which are going on. And I spent some of the morning trying to find out which court cases there are. And there don't appear to be any currently in progress. Right. I've also, of course, contacted his office mm. and Hillingdon Conservatives, his local association. And um, I'm not really getting very far, but uh, most definitely the uh, uh, you know, everything he's always said suggests that kind of day one, if he's in Downing Street, he'll say, right, well, let's uh, let's cancel um, Heathrow third runway. And while we're at it, um, uh, we'll cancel HS2, the high speed yes. rail. Yes. Now, that you should, you should definitely do, but that's another story for another day. Ah. What, whatever happened to the Boris Island? Because I I quite like the idea of an airport in the Thames estuary, I well, must confess. So, so did he, and um, his, his line is that um, having circled around and around, we will eventually come in to land at the estuary. Um, but again, that's a historic quote, it's not what he said last night. Mm. And, um, well, the, the, uh, the all I can say is that the airport's commission, who are lots of brainy people um, with lots of, uh, lots of computers and calculators and consultations and everything else, they have to look at it and said nah not going to work mm. and they came up with only three shortlisted ones which was third runway at Heathrow extended runway at Heathrow which goes sort of halfway to Reading um, and actually the people behind that idea called the Heathrow Hub are still saying this is the best one yes we, we've got to do this but one. you and I have spoken about this before Simon and, and I think it was you that enlightened me to the fact that it's a massive sort of trade airport as well and there's an well, awful lot of, of cargo that comes uh, through well, Heathrow that, that, including yeah. something like you know 50 million pounds worth of salmon every year. Oh, quite. It is by far the, um, in terms of value as opposed to volume, it's by far the kind of richest, most important port in the UK uh, because um, all the stuff which is flown in and out tends to be high value, especially right. you, Mike. Well, of course. Oh, yeah. I am very um, high value, uh, even though uh, I go uh, cheap. Uh, 
Um, anyway, uh, self-loading cargo. Yes, um, quite exactly. Uh, so, so uh, but but the other possibility still there, Gatwick, and um, talking to John McDonnell, who's the shadow chancellor, but also he's the MP for Heathrow because it's in his actual constituency. Right. He just says no. We've got to build a second one at Gatwick. Um, meanwhile, Gatwick are doing the Blue Peter trick, which is here's one we prepared mm. earlier. Okay. They've got a standby runway and they've got an agreement which they signed in 1979. I think you were there where it said they said, right, we won't um, we won't um, do anything with this standby runway except use it as a standby um, for 40 years. And guess what? It's just about to um, run out that agreement. Yeah. So they're saying we're going to have oh, here we are. Surprise. We've got two runways after all and they're going to start um, using them both quite soon. I think so, I think that sounds like a good plan though, doesn't it? Because as you say, if it's the busiest single-use runway in the world, what what reason not to uh, not to give it a bit more capacity with by doubling the capacity? Well, there's, there's a few people around Gatwick who would not agree with that. But the thing is, um, and I used to I was born just south of um, Gatwick Airport, and I used to work there. Um, uh, Haywards uh, Heath. Uh, no, Crawley. Crawley, very yeah, nice. Um, exactly, yes. Anyway, um, so, so there are fewer people who are going to be upset. You have to knock down the Gatwick Manor Hotel, um, which means an end to your favourite karaoke nights on a Friday. <laughs> but I think we'll kind of live with that. And, mm. and they, they, they've, they've for decades reserved all the land they need. So you could actually do a bit of a sort of Chinese thing and say, yeah, we'll get that ready a week on Wednesday. Um, but so how do we get the Extinction Rebellion crowd uh, satisfied here? Because we've oh. got... A government that's already declared a climate emergency, right? Yeah. Uh, presumably this lot are not going to be in favour. They'll be lying down in front of the bulldozer, all gluing themselves to them, aren't they? Uh, yeah, or, or gluing themselves to Boris Johnson, that's a thought. Yeah. Um, and, and so, no, I, I've been doing a survey of all the opposition to um, airport expansion in general. Of course, Extinction Rebellion were due yesterday to be shutting down Heathrow with the use of a swarm of drones. Oh, yeah. um, meanwhile, the Liberal Democrats, who did quite well in the European election, you'll remember we remain opposed to any expansion of Heathrow, Stansted or Gatwick or any new airport in the Thames estuary and the Scottish nationalists they had um, the, the, lots of their MPs voted in favour of expanding Heathrow because they got promised better connectivity for Scotland uh -huh. but now they've declared a climate emergency and that might have changed too so Crikey. Right. Um, it's the, all very uh, confusing, isn't it? Well, it is pity the poor passenger. And meanwhile, there's lots of people right now flying around over the home counties waiting to land because it's only two runways. Oh, dear. Yes, it's not good, is it? We haven't even got time for us to go into the Boeing purchase by British Airways. Oh. We'll have to do that another time. Okay. Uh, because they've, of course, ordered 200 of these planes to keep crashing, which doesn't seem like great business to me. But there we are. What can I say? The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Barbara Streisand. Maybe we should make Barbara Streisand Prime Minister. Any way of doing that? Barbara Streisand. She can do whatever she wants, apparently. She can get us out of Europe. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Paddy, who's in Suffolk. Hello, Paddy. 
Are you mate? Would you Good vote afternoon. for uh, Would you vote for Barbara Streisand for Prime Minister? Uh, no, uh, I, I don't know anything about her. Really? Uh, no, I have sort of briefly brushed into her once. I was staying at a hotel in London, and she was staying there. She had a big suite of rooms. Oh yeah, in the hotel. But uh, well done the other day with Tobias Elwood. Oh, thank you. That beasting, he well deserved it. Well, I mean, uh, and he was making some ridiculous points, which I'm afraid I just couldn't uh, take lying down. Yes, and he wouldn't answer your questions. He would make a good spy. Yeah. Just, just like uh, Rory Stewart <laughs> made a good spy. <laughs> but Trouble is, Rory Stewart is such a recognisable face, though. You know, wouldn't, he wouldn't blend into the background, would he? No, no, I think his days are over, as that sort of thing. But uh, the big news about the cryptocurrency yes. and Facebook... That's not actually the big news. The big news that came out of London the other day yeah. was that MoneyGram is teaming up with one of these cryptocurrencies, one called Ripple XRP, uh-huh. and they're going to transfer something like £700 billion a year over that cryptocurrency. Okay. Is that like international transfers and things? Yes. I mean, that particular company, uh, XRP, they've already got almost 300 banks on their books. Have they? So they will be taken over from SWIFT very soon. Yeah. So this is all a bit of a mystery to me. This, so, this, I mean, pe- people are using these different methods of moving money around and have been for, for quite a few years, haven't they? Yes, and this coin that Facebook is bringing out, it's not new, it's what's called a stable coin. Uh-huh. So the price won't fluctuate. It'll be pegged to the dollar or something. Right. So, well, it'll fluctuate if the dollar fluctuates then. Well, yes, but you can guarantee the one thing that's different about Facebook coin to, say, Ripple XRP or Bitcoin is when you buy uh, Facebook coins, it's guaranteed by default because it's pegged to the dollar, your money will be worth less than it did you know, when you bought it. Because, as you know, the value, you know, the actual worth of the dollar and the pound keeps going down. It goes one way down. Well, it didn't used to. I mean, the supposed kind of fluctuations that used to take place in the currency markets have all been ruled out now because all the computers have been properly sort of, um, you know, uh, set up so that you can't have a massive drop in the price of anything anymore. But still, you know, the pound is worth a lot less uh, in America than it was, I don't know, four years ago. Well, yes, it all happened uh, in the early 70s during what's called the Nixon shock when Nixon declared overnight he was... Uh, taking the U.S. dollar off the gold standard. And, of course, all our currencies were pegged to the U.S. dollar. And since then, it's been downhill all the way. Well, I don't know about that, because when I worked in New York in the 80s, you could get £2.40 to the pound. And a lot of people who were paid in pounds were very happy about that, including me. Oh, oh yes. I mean, it'll change between the currencies, but the actual resources you can buy with a pound or with the dollar, goes down. So, yes. you, you know, one year you may have, your, your pound may be worth more against the dollar, uh, but the actual physical things and things you can buy with your pound is less. Yes, well, I mean, I think we could argue all day about this going backwards and forwards, but I take your point, Paddy. Thank you very much indeed. Some things are cheaper now than they used to be. Some things are more expensive. It depends on what you're talking about, really. Daniel's in Epsom. And if you think about mobile phones, when mobile phones first came out in this country, and I can tell you this because I found a few years ago an old copy of the Sunday Times magazine, and they were advertising, a, uh, uh, it was a Motorola 
um, mobile phone which came in a suitcase practically and it was a thousand quid. And that was back in something like 1983 or four. Let's talk to Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Mike, am I loud and clear? Yeah, absolutely. Very loud and clear. Well, I just want to say, I watched that last night and I couldn't help feeling they were like five no marks. Yeah. And, and I thought there was one person missing and his name's Nigel Farage. Yes. And, and it's actually been... I think Nigel Farage is our only true statesman in this country. And I, I think that debate was put together so badly. Emily Maitlis was atrocious. The format was terrible. You could tell they were trying to fit Boris up by the, the guests they had on. You could just tell they were trying to fit him up and trip him up. Yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't help feeling it was an absolute disaster and another reason to not pay your... Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, what you, what you know about the BBC now is that they don't mind who you are as long as you're asking the right question. Absolutely. And you know they sent a researcher out, go and find me an Islamic imam and, you know, see if we'll pose this question. Yes. It, ter it turns out now that that imam's got a very questionable... Well, it does. Feed. And, their, and yeah. their excuse is that he turned off his Twitter account so they couldn't check. Really? I, I, I just, you know what, I, I just think it's predictable. And I think that's why he didn't want to do Channel 4, because he knows that people are going to go out for him and they, all they want is their little five minutes in mm. the sun, in the press. And I think we all know how it works now, and I don't blame him for not doing those debates because they were atrocious. But I don't. All, all, I, I mean, at least, at least the next one, there should only be three of them, which should make things a little bit better. But I wouldn't blame Boris Johnson if he didn't bother doing any more. If he just said, you know what, that was such a waste of time that I've got more important things to be getting on with. I'm going to be Prime Minister of this country. I'd like to actually spend an hour uh, thinking about what we're going to do about leaving the European Union. Well, I think, I think there are three big things that he has to do. I think on day one, he goes to Europe and says, look, by hook or by crook, no matter what happens, on the 31st of October, we are definitely going to leave. I think we should consider proroguing Parliament, if, if not, and, and I'd have a meeting with the Queen and explain that her own MPs, despite voting for something and promising the public something, they're now conspiring against that vote. And I think they say that you can only prorogue uh, Parliament in a constitutional crisis. Well, I kind of think, well, if this isn't a constitutional <laughs> crisis, I, do, I don't know what is. No, exactly right. And, and also all of these kind of threats and counter threats from people about how, you know, we can't do this or we won't let you do that. The law states very clearly, categorically, that Parliament cannot stop anybody from being in the Prime Minister's office saying we are now leaving the European Union without a deal because that's what the law says. I, yeah, I mean, you're right, Mark. I just hope... I look at them, right, and I, I hope that he isn't the continuity candidate. Another Eaton boy, another Cameron. He's got a very liberal girlfriend now. And I kind of think, is he just telling me what I want to hear? Mm. The person I want involved, the person I want to be involved is Nigel Farage. I want him brought from the outskirts of politics into the mainstream. Most conservative members do. He, Nigel is a conservative. It's his lifelong dream. We have to do it. Bring him in. Yeah. Well, I think Boris actually sees... The, uh, whether it's uh, opportunism or whether it is his own uh, belief about leaving the European Union, I think he sees himself as having a place in history. That's good enough for me, because that means he'll do it, because he wants yeah, I mean, to be remembered for something. What, what, what he doesn't realise is that if he takes us out of the European Union by hook or by crook, they'll, they'll put a statue of him in, in the Trafalgar Square. He, he will be our champion. And I'm sure we might get a bit of short-term pain, but I'm almost certain in this country, and having travelled around Europe quite a lot, I just think we could be absolutely fine. I and mean, there might be a, a few tri trips along the way, but listen, it's, you know, only 10% of business in the UK is affected by the EU at all. Of course. So, it's, all, it's all become an argument about an argument as opposed to an argument about actual substance. Nobody, as Tobias Elwood proved yesterday, has any clue 
that it's going to be a disaster to leave with no deal. Nobody has that idea because it's simply another negotiation and we will have to negotiate anyway, so why not just start from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I make you right. I mean, it makes me wonder how far the EU's tentacles are in our actual government, right? Yeah. Because we know that they funded the uh, so-called people's vote. They funded that openly. And how far are their tentacles within our government? Who can we trust? Because I read something today that Rory Stewart um, actually attended the Bilderberg conference. Um, it, it's well documented. You can Google yeah, it. Yeah, well, he would do. I mean, Bilderberg is not the mysterious, difficult place that everybody thinks it is. I mean, Bilderberg is just an annual event which loads of business leaders and politicians go to. It's painted as if it's some kind of, you know, tinfoil hat convention where everybody stitches up the world and they all have funny handshakes. It's not actually like that. Yeah, but it's not so much that. But then it's turned out today that he might have been a fake candidate all the way through. I suspect to... that's that's very much the case, yeah, particularly, I, I... as Ross Kempsell told us earlier on, he's likely now to, to give his, you know, amazing following to somebody else. Yeah, to Michael Gove. Yeah. So, so, the, so the thing is, we all stand back and go, well, was that all a charade? Were you really running? You know, this is what I want to know. I want clear politics now. I want to I want to get rid of all the BS, and I want to know. I want to still leave the European Union. I want clarity, and I haven't got that. And the thing is, if I know Nigel was involved, I, I, I would have it, you know? Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think you make a very good point, Daniel, about Rory, because I think Rory Stewart was the stop Boris candidate, and that will become very clear over the next days and months. Let's talk to Harry, who's in Portsmouth. Hello, Harry. Oh, yes, hello. Good afternoon, Mark. Yeah, uh, on, that, on that Rory Stewart, he's the spook that became the stooge. <laughs> yeah, lots of O's in there, isn't there? We, we couldn't possibly have an ex-spook in the Cabinet. We've got enough... You know, ex-army Tories like Tobias Elwood uh, floating around mm. the system. You never know which estate, you know, the fourth estate, the fifth estate, the seventh estate. We don't know what estate they work for, these people. What I find why, hilarious... Why you have them in the Cabinet? But what I find hilarious, Harry, is that he's embraced by all the people who normally would hate Boris Johnson because he went to Eton, but they like Rory Stewart when he went to Eton because he's on their side. He, he's, he's a Twitter titan. He, he, he does his makeup, does his hair, puts himself on YouTube, and he, he, he could be on the, on the path to earning $10 million. Yeah, absolutely. He could become an Instagram he influencer. Throw, he throw versus Gatwick. It's again, it's like Brexit. They're wasting time over Heathrow all these years. The solution of Gatwick has been there. They built the emergency runway all 25 years ago with the promise. It wouldn't be used as such for, uh, only for emergencies. I don't think they even used it when they had that snow on a few years ago. But the fact is, on that Brexit, they, it was revealed that some of the, um, the, the air freight that can't go through Heathrow because there's not enough capacity, they stick it on lorries and, and send it to Brussels on lorries. Right. So it flies out of Brussels. So why not use that capacity at Gatwick? I and think that's a... again. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Harry. Thank you very much indeed. We've got loads and loads of you who want to talk to me today, and I'm sorry if I haven't got to all of you, but please uh, do call again tomorrow because we will be back, of course, at 10am. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham doesn't sleep, or doesn't sleep very often anyway, just occasionally go to America um, and uh, pay over the odds for bags and all that sort of thing. Coming up, though, we're going to talk about noise. Jasmine Burzel is a personal finance expert from Money Magpie, but she hates noise pollution, right? So does Nigella Lawson, so do a lot of you. I mean, how many times you've been woken up on a Saturday morning by some maniac with a strimmer or some idiot with a leaf blower. It really is very, very detrimental, apparently, not only to your brain, but to your health. 
as well. We'll find out why coming up next. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm not gonna teach you Well, we all know who chose this song, eh? Still suffering from asbestos poisoning from this morning. Good old con. He'll be in for uh, the uh, Perrier Awards coming up on Friday. Hopefully his musical taste will have improved by then. Anyway, uh, talk about noise pollution. That really does burn my uh, ears, that particular song. It's not very good. And we're going to talk now to Jasmine Bertels, who is not, by any means, an expert on noise pollution, but suffers from it, as many of us do. Jasmine, of course, personal finance expert for Money Magpie. Jasmine, a very good afternoon to you. Hello there. I am currently sitting in a very pleasantly quiet part of London. They do exist, <laughs> but um, yeah, not that many of them. Well, there's not, and, and the trouble is that uh, we, I think we all know what we mean by annoying noise, don't we? I mean, mm. it's it's the Saturday morning sort of leaf blower or the, um, you know, yeah. the, uh, the the scaffolding putter-uppers. For some reason, I don't know what it is, but people who put up yeah. and take down scaffolding do it in such a noisy way that it's kind of, you know, you're waiting for the next ping to just kind of, um, you know, grate on your brain, aren't you? Exactly. And, and as you say, there are so many of them now. And, and potentially, certainly, I, I mean, I'm, obviously I'm a Londoner, so I'm thinking particularly London here. But, you know, if, if the Heathrow expansion happens, that's going to be a whole load more really noisy planes going over the whole of the capital, or at least, you know, a good, a good half of it. Um, and, and that's added to my particular bet noir currently, which is these... Um, cars with with extra special exhausts yeah. put in specifically to make the ridiculous noise. And you just think, oh come on, it's boy racers, it's Arab princes, it's people. You know, I think it's middle aged blokes on on those um, silly uh, motorbikes. Yeah. You know, all of that. And you just think, what are you trying to compensate for? What, what's what's happening with this? You know, why this ridiculous <laughs> noise? <laughs> are, there no, are there no girl racers, Jasmine? I mean, you know, you might be accused of sexism here. Well, this is true. Yes, personally, I don't know any, but it's quite possible that there are. We'd better say that just before we get get slammed, shouldn't we? No, exactly <laughs> right. But there is. I mean, I, I used to live in New York, right, and which is an incredibly yeah. noisy place. Whenever I yeah. go back there, I forget just how noisy it was. Because literally, it is the city that never sleeps. And no matter what time of the day or night, you're hearing cars, um, you're seeing traffic. You know, London's beginning to get a bit like that in terms of, you know, I've, I've worked all hours of the day and night and I've sometimes been stuck in traffic jams at mm. one o'clock in the morning. You know, yes. and you can't quite believe that there are still, but, but it's very much more of a 24-hour city now than it used to be. It is. And, you know, years ago, I interviewed, um, can't think of his name, but lovely man who set up the noise abatement society. I remember them, yeah. Yeah, because it was back in 1960, apparently, when they actually managed to, to pass a, a noise abatement law. You can imagine there would have been far less noise back then. They wouldn't have had anything like as yeah. many aeroplanes or, you know, whatever. Um, but it, it has been creeping on. And, and I just noticed this with an, an article in The Times yesterday where they were saying um, that, you know, there, there are genuine um, health problems that come from for, for all sorts of children, adults, everything from noise, not just at night, but during the day, yeah. you kind of don't notice it, but it just it, it causes you problems. And it reminded me, obviously, I'm way too young to remember this myself. Of course. But, you know, uh, you remember with um, uh, General Noriega, yeah. um, how they, they use, 
was it was it Bruce Springsteen? No, I think song? it was I think it was Guns N' Roses they used. But oh, they, okay. yeah, they yeah. blasted Guns N' Roses at him to get him out of the presidential palace, didn't they, yeah. in Panama? <laughs> it's a spirit which is, type of which, torture. Well, I mean, they could have used that rubbish that we played a bit earlier on just before you started. <laughs> that would have got me out of the place. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Nigella mm. Lawson apparently has said that she's actually allergic to noise, including mm. music in shops and restaurants, which she finds utterly draining. And I must admit. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are, there are times if you're in, say, a pub or a restaurant and the music's at that little bit too loud, yes. it really does put you off, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, anywhere where I have to shout to be heard, I think, no, no, seriously, this is, this is too much. And um, in the comments um, of that article, quite a few people were mentioning open-plan offices, yes. which, again, I think is a modern evil. Um, and, you know, there's always one person who's, who talks incredibly loudly on yeah. the phone. And, you know, it's a business call, fine. But it's like on the train. You're, Hello, I'm on the train. Yeah. You don't want to. Yeah, doing really well in the office. Like, yeah. No. Oh, I know. There's nothing worse. And also, what about um, the person who, I don't know if you had the misfortune of living next door to a kind of DIY type person where, oh, because right, they've yeah. always got the latest, you know, I once lived next door to a guy, he was always doing something on a Saturday or a Sunday, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, planing yep. a door or something or making a cabinet yeah. or putting a shed up or something. Yeah. And it always involved some form of electrical appliance like a drill, uh, yes. or, you know, and it was just torture. It is awful, isn't it? And, and another thing about um, city living is living in flats, and, and I, I, had, I nearly went to law uh, about this, managed not to, but um, when your neighbours upstairs put in wooden flooring, Yes. And I think, you know, I like wooden flooring, absolutely fine, but, you know, so long as you don't have anybody as long else. As, as long as it's your flooring and not the one up above. Exactly, yes. So I, I really think that more places, and it should be just a, a rule in all flats, and unless they've got phenomenally good soundproofing in between, and some, some have, not that many, but some have, but unless you've got really good soundproofing in between, you should say no... Floor, no wooden flooring has to be carpeting. Apparently, some of the others. some of the older apartment buildings in New York, they actually put sand um, in between the, the floor oh. and, the, and the ceiling below because apparently it's a massively good soundproofing system. Ha! Huh, I had no idea. Well, that's a so you can always one. ask to have that done the next time you buy your custom-made, um, you know, bijou apartment. Yeah. But I tell yeah. you what's also interesting about this: Heston Blumenthal, mm. who is, of course, the sort of celebrity chef. He describes yeah. music in restaurants as sonic seasoning. He says if you get the music right, people mm. will enjoy their meal better, but if it's wrong, they won't actually be able to taste anything. Well, that, that is, I think that's a very good point. Um, you know, and again, it's one of those things that we just, we're not aware enough of it. We're, we're not often quite as aware as we should be of our surroundings. And it is, it's all the senses. It's like people who can't smell also generally can't taste. And you can understand, uh, it would make sense that if your your ears are hearing something that somehow either don't go with the food or don't go with you, mm. that it, it is going to, sort of, without you even realising, actually affect your, your general sense of, of the taste of things. It really is. Well, I mean, let's hope that this, this, this sort of trend for people driving around in very noisy machines changes yeah, yeah. at some point soon. But, Jasmine, thank you. Uh, as ever, have a pleasant afternoon and hopefully stay out of the noisy areas uh, of London. It does really grind people's gears. It does when you're sitting in a place which is just too noisy uh, for words. Now, we were talking earlier about Rory Stewart and whether he was going to be going into business possibly with Michael Gove and maybe uh, handing him all of his supporters. He just put a tweet out about 10 or 15 minutes ago 
in which he says this. One, I'm in this to win, the real alternative to Boris. Two, I speak to MG regularly and hope he would have a big role in any government. Now, he hasn't ever spoken to me, Rory, so, yeah, obviously he's talking about Michael Gove. Number three, I am the candidate with the most momentum, energy and public appeal. Our members deserve a choice. Four, if it's not me, it will be PM Boris. Well, that's how the electoral system works, I'm afraid, Rory. Um, and when you start saying things like, I'm the candidate with the most public appeal, really that's not for you to say, is it? Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.